Howdy. What's going on? Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It is heard live every day, by the way, from noon until 3 on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content, invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with links, become a patron. Go to the PeteCallanerShow.com. This podcast is also supported by North Carolina businesses, so please consider supporting them. Try not to skip through their short ad. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And thanks so much for your support. You're welcome to get in on the conversation today at 704-570-1110. 704-570-1110. Uh, Chris, Bernie, those guys, you'll hear them. They'll talk to you, and you'll get right in to talk about whatever you want to talk about. We've been talking about abortion. We, there's no issue we're going to stray from here. We've been talking about policy implications. We've talked about immigration. We're By the way, 1.5 million so far fiscal year 23, year to date. 1.5 million total encounters. Now, that is not including non-encounters. So if you were to double, you would think about two, three, four million people running half the population of the state of North Carolina easily over the past 12 months into the country in some way between encounters and gotaways. Unbelievable, staggering number of folks that have gotten into the country. And the band plays on. There was a time this was a bipartisan issue. It's no longer. A lot of things that were bipartisan issues are no longer bipartisan issues. And we, 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 we talk about these things. And that's why we have this. You get to vent. You get to talk. I get to talk. We, we discuss these things on talk radio, which is something that certainly the left would love to get rid of. Because it's much better to have a one-sided discussion, isn't it? When they could just give you the ideology and that's it. You know, very 1984 style. Here is the Ministry of Truth tells... And we just had one not too long ago. It's luckily defunct. But basically, CNN, MSNBC, they've acted as the ministry of truth for this current administration that, that, that makes a, a blind you know, downtown traffic driver look very skilled. I mean, when I see Karine Jean-Pierre at, at a press conference, I know that the headlights are on, but they have no idea where the roadmap is. They don't know where that car is going. There's no depth of understanding of the issues. It's more like blame. Blame somebody. If you can just take the issue, whatever the question is, and just blame somebody. Blame some group. Blame somebody. Don't accept responsibility. Obfuscate. And then act like you had nothing to do with it. It's a pretty simple gig if you can get it. But there are people that just don't check those boxes. <laughs> and and people who know, they know what I'm talking about when I say things like that. Now, a couple things to bring you. I, I did mention, by the way, Martha Stewart. It's not the biggest news story, but it's fascinating. Somehow, an 81-year-old's on the cover of Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition. Now, how these things become trendy and cool, I don't know. You go a long way from the Cheryl Tiggs, Christy Turlington, and, and, and uh, yeah, Christy Brinkley kinds to Martha Stewart on the cover of Swimsuit Issue. I, I don't know. It's the, it's the woke way of addressing things these days, I guess. And you can't have any shallow thoughts. How dare you have things like that? Now, EPA has proposed the strongest ever climate rules for the power sector, which require coal and many gas-fired plants to capture most of their emissions. The Biden administration's draft rules mandate that coal units that remain in operation in 2040 begin capturing 90% of their carbon by 2030, which is just a scant, what, six years away? Six, six and a half years away? To uh, Utilities can avoid most requirements by agreeing to shutter in other words, shut down their coal plants by 2032 or by 2035 if they run them occasionally. Plants will then that will retire by 2040 but don't need to meet those criteria would co-fire with natural gas. 
which has lower emissions to begin with. The rules also demand that large natural gas plants that run consistently either capture 90% of their emissions by 2035 or burn mostly low-carbon hydrogen by 2038. Otherwise, very stringent standards. Now, that's policy. We talk about policy. This is a climate change cult that, that, that definitely lives and inhabits the White House right now. That Biden's not in charge, but those around him are. That's not conspiracy. That's truth. This guy, he, could, he would wither in a town hall. He would just wither in a town hall. If you if you if he had to face the scrutiny that the CNN town hall host threw at him, threw at Trump, and they threw that at Biden, he would wither. He wouldn't be able to answer that, even if he had friendly questions from the audience. Now, having said that, this policy that they're pushing is not going to make power cheaper. It's not going to make your utility bills cheaper. There's already a massive collusion between power companies and legislatures. You know this whenever you go to the North Carolina legislature and you see the guys with the shiny shoes and the nice suits, which are typically the lawyers for the utility companies, going in with environmentalists who are wearing the sandals. And when they come out, if they agree, it's because the sandals got taken. And because the Duke, the Duke Progress, whatever, Dominion power companies got whatever they wanted. They'll make tons of money. But your power bills are not going to go down because of this. Your electric car isn't going to charge. Imagine if everyone who had an electric car had to charge their car only with solar or wind energy. You know, they, would, they would almost not be able to charge their cars anywhere in North Carolina. Now, we do have a path that's pretty easy. Nuclear is a great path. It's something that should be embraced by left and right. We should be building nuclear facilities, safe, productive nuclear power plants everywhere. To, to, to deal, if we're interested in infrastructure, then power is one of those. Cheap, abundant power is the catalyst for all great economic engines. It makes it hum. It makes it grow. It makes it go. But this, this whole just restrict, 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 shut down, crush, make more expensive, you're not going to be able to charge your Tesla if you shut down all the coal-fired power plants. I love how Tesla, and I, no, no fault to Tesla owners because I know some, but if you think you're helping the environment by charging your car with coal, you're just shifting the emissions somewhere else. You know, they're burning coal somewhere so you can charge your Tesla at home. But look, it's real shiny and clean right there at home, but the coal-fired power plant's producing the electricity for it. And if you're going to shut all those down, how are you going to charge your electric cars in the next 15 years? Unless you have some nuclear plants to go in there. You're not going to do it with solar and wind. Don't believe. You'd have to pave an area the size of Texas to supply that enough energy needs. Even this offshore wind stuff in North Carolina is a joke. It's five times taller than our tallest lighthouses. They're going to sit offshore and just churn away, and they're not going to provide that much energy. But, but that's interesting. That's the demand that the Biden administration, these proposals are part of a larger suite of actions the EPA has taken to fully address the climate, health, and environmental burdens from power plants, said EPA Administrator Michael Regan. On a call Wednesday with reporters, though this comprehensive approach, we're working to fulfill EPA responsibility to protect communities from pollution while providing regulatory certainty. Notice that nowhere in that statement did he say, we're here to make sure there's cheap, abundant energy to drive America's economic engine. That's, that, that The role of the EPA should be to protect the environment. All those are great altruistic things. But the real goal is to make sure we can operate and have power. And when you turn your lights on, they go on. Remember what a joke those bulbs were a few years ago. You had basically had to have a hazmat team if one ever broke. They never lasted as long as people portrayed that they would. They didn't produce the kind of light that was good or healthy or useful to you. And now you can go back and get incandescent bulbs again. But you can get some really cool LEDs also. 
The draft rule entails the most aggressive carbon standards EPA has ever proposed for the power sector, which contributes a quarter of U.S. carbon emissions. If finally they would rate, by the way, if you got rid of all the cars, it's just minuscule part of things. So the, the pretending that cars are contributing that much. This is just, it's getting more and more. I was lo- looking at a report the other day that talked about landfall hurricanes have actually dropped between 1850 and now. So over time, they, the, the landfalling hurricanes, are, they're not more powerful, more potent. They're not worse. The numbers that are hitting land are less. We just have a lot more people, a lot more reporting and 24-7 ways of looking at everything that happens in real time. Whereas in 1868, you didn't. You just didn't. You had an earthquake in Charleston. It took days for people to find out about it because there was no communication years and years ago. But these are the kind of things that are important. They're important for us all to know. And to be aware, when we get back, we're going to get a little bit more into uh, the Atlas Shrugged reality we live in and a little bit about Cooper. I'll, I'll update you on what the abortion law actually is versus what people are saying it is. And this is not just me. This is actually covered by media. All right, now you've heard me talk about them. Old Grouch's Military Surplus. They're expanding with more ways to get your hands on authentic U.S. military surplus items. Go to oldgrouch.com. Check out the links for the online auctions for rare finds and the vintage shop. Unique, really cool items from modern tactical gear to historical collectibles. Tim at Old Grouch's is always finding new stuff. When I started the podcast at the beginning of the pandemic, my first advertiser was Old Grouch's. If you enjoy the show and derive any value from it, I'm hoping that you will consider supporting one of the businesses that make it possible. Lots of gift ideas for that person who loves the military style for fashion or decor. There really is something for everyone at Old Grouch's Military Surplus in beautiful downtown Clyde and online at oldgrouch.com. It's amazing the degree to which talk radio has been diminished over the past decade or so. It is, it's, it's, the, it's the change. It's the alteration. We, there was a story earlier, I think they were talking about it on an earlier show, that AM radios are being phased out of cars. That's been underway for about a decade now. They're not putting them there. I mean, more and more content is available instantly in your car. The information you get online, podcasts, all sorts of things you can listen to online. It just It's an epic change. It's a shift. And we're seeing that in TV. I'm watching some series. I think it was Succession, in which they're talking about the demise of TV, even. I don't think, you know, TV, TV as we know it is in demise, certainly. It's, it's all, you know, what you want to watch when you want to watch it. You know, the, the DVR mentality, so to speak. Now, moving along, you want to get on the conversation, 704-570-1110, 570-1110 here at WBT, 99.3.1110. And, you know, I've, I've kind of alluded to, Ayn Rand's Atlas Shrugged, 1984, uh, Aldous Huxley's Brave New World. Uh, you know, there's so many different ones. Uh, Pig Farm, uh, or Animal Farm, rather, and Gattaca. And, and there's these wonderful dystopian futuristic novels. And in every one of them, what, what a lot of fo- the folks that read them know, but the folks that don't read them don't know, is that they're dystopian because the government has become the the domestic terrorist for lack of a better word the, the government has become the the culmination of government control the growth the government has become so large and unwieldy that the individual is lost in this chasm the individual individuality creativity capitalism all this get lost that they're they're vilified they're put aside for this new reality that isn't it even in brave new world it's 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 supposed to be utopian but it's really, with the introduction of John Savage, you realize it's not. It's a completely fabricated. It's it's in, on the heels of, you know, not on the heels of, but Logan's run is on the heels of, of that one. They, these things all, they have a common thread, 
all of them, and th- th- they're all worthwhile in their own regard. It's just amazing that we we go down that path. And in, in the novels, you're there. You're already at. You're, you're beginning where we're going to end up. You're beginning after it's all taken place. And so the, the mistake I think we made is we think it's going to happen all at once. It's not. It's going to happen little by little with growth in government and inability and intractability to change where those in power and their ability to stay in power completely grows and, and gets to the point that you just can't stop it. And we're kind of there. We know the country's upside down. We know that, that, that neither political party has the will to stop it. They, 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 there's a lot of platitudes, a lot of people that don't want to make comments, and just bad policy on top of bad policy while saying the other guys are the bad guys. Now, give the Republicans a little bit of, of sway here. If there were enough Republicans, they would, I believe, enact some things. But there's too many that are scared and in the middle. Now, I say this, so let's talk a little bit about that because over the free enterprise, uh, well, I, I was reading the article, and it, it's the Foundation for Economic Education, and and it's it's a it, it's just a, it's a well done piece. I don't know that I'll get through it in this segment, but we'll get through it in between two segments unless there's phone calls, in which case you guys always come first. You know that. And this is uh, Milt Friedman. Well, no, nah, I'm going to say that wrong. It's John Miltimore wrote the piece. Last September, billionaire Ken Griffin announced he was pulling up stakes and moving Citadel, his gigantic hedge fund, from Chicago to Miami. The Windy City was out of control, he told Bloomberg, something that dawned on him after a colleague made a coffee run and was robbed by a thief who put a gun to his head. It's no secret that Griffin's exit is part of a much larger migration taking place all across America. Data showed that several populous blue states, California, New York, and Illinois among them, you've heard this before, have been losing population in companies for years. In 2021, Forbes wrote about left UGs. I love that. Instead of refugees, left UGs. Fleeing blue states for red ones. A few years before that, a headline in The Hill touched on, quote, the great exodus out of America's blue cities. New IRS data, however, show the speed with which blue states are losing taxpayers with their adjusted gross income is increasing. A recent Wall Street Journal analysis found that more than 100,000 people left Illinois in 2021, taking with them $11 billion in adjusted gross income, nearly double that of 2019. For New York, it was $24.5 billion, an increase of more than 150% from 2019. In California, their adjusted gross income lost $29 billion, which was triple that of 2019. That people are migrating from these states is important, but who is migrating is equally important. The data paint a bleak picture for those states. Taxpayers giving up on the Prairie State and the Empire State made about 35000 more per year than new arrivals. For Florida, the data are even more stark. The average income for a new arrival to the Sunshine State was roughly 150000 more than double those leaving. In other words, the geese with the golden eggs are flying away, according to Daniel Mitchell, of referring to the IRS data. Needless to say, the data do not bode well for the future of those states, but not everyone's concerned. People on the left rarely are. Uh, that's the thing that, that, that just staggers me, is that how little concern the people on the left typically have. The Atlantic accepts the reality that a major migration is underway, one that undercuts the conventional wisdom that Democrat states are the future, but rejects the idea that they're dying. New York City isn't some dystopian wasteland where no one can see their future, writes Jerusalem Desmus. That author may be right, but it's hard to deny there is a dystopian character to what we're seeing in these U.S. cities, including surging crime, failing schools, social unrest. Yet there are reasons to believe these problems are going to get worse. Much worse. Losing wealth creators and affluent workers doesn't just affect the economic landscape, it affects the political landscape. Now, I'm going to stop here because you can take this 
and and take the that's a macro issue. That's rather large. These states, and unfortunately, many of the people that made those states the way they are, they may have income and stuff. But when they come to states like North Carolina, they kind of bring that with them a little bit. And you see that. You're like, hey, you came here for a reason, so kind of respect that you left there to come here. So here has more attributes than there for you. And cities like Charlotte and Raleigh, that left lean isn't helping them. It isn't making them better. Charlotte, it's not better when it leans more left. It's worse. The homeless problem worse. The drugs worse. The crime gets worse. Far right of the right, you know, it suggested this national divorce. I think it's kind of silly in many ways. But the 50-state the experiment, I mean, the states being set up to run themselves in many ways is, is a fantastic idea that has stood the test of time. And so what we're seeing is this disparity between states from a leadership standpoint, policy standpoint, and all states are not. You know, they're not equal in the way they, they have citizens. They're not equal in the, you know, some have coasts, some don't. And some have a lot of people, some don't. But you see over time the product of bad leadership. And, and and so these states are hemorrhaging earners. They're hemorrhaging people who work, who are creative, who create jobs, who grow businesses. California, Oregon, Washington, uh, Illinois, New York. They're, they're hemorrhaging people who who can leave. And they're leaving behind. So what you end up with is the very people that need that you really need to help solve problems are leaving. And you're stuck with fewer and fewer people who can and have the means to help. And so as taxes go up and the things deteriorate, it's it's dystopian. And that's what we've been talking about. North Carolina is the beneficiary of many, but some of the cities in North Carolina, the disparities in state to state, we're the beneficiaries of many states where, that are shedding people. If you go to the coastal areas, if you go to Brunswick or Moore County in the central part of the state, many retirees, tons of people moving in with money. Charlotte, Huntersville, those areas, the, the house building is unbelievable all around. Mitt Hill, all the way around, everywhere around the Charlotte-Mecklenburg area. It's, it's just gangbusters. But the leadership in that city, in Charlotte, in this wonderful city, is, is not necessarily making it better. It's still focused on you know, the mass transit thing that's not working well. It's it's not dealing with the homeless situation as well as it could. It's 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 preferring mass transit and rail systems over improvement of roads. It's doing a lot of the things that these cities that have failed, that have given you a track record of failure, it's still still doing them. But back to the uh, the free enterprise piece. There are lessons to the believe problems are going to get worse, not better. Long losing lo- losing wealth creators and affluent workers doesn't just affect the economic landscape, but also affects the political one. In a recent Wall Street Journal op-ed, Alicia Finley pointed out that this primarily works to the political benefit of public sector unions and welfare activists. And pay attention, Charlotte, because it's going to come here. Cities are losing the voters who keep their leaders from going off the rails, Finley writes, noting that Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot, she was defeated, but she was defeated by Mayor-elect Brandon Johnson, who ran to the left of her, further left. They didn't uh, reject her. She was considered too moderate. Johnson's victory of uh, margin of victory was relatively thin, about 20,000 votes, but that's a fraction of the 175,000 people who left Cook County over the past three years. And it stands to reason that those are the very people the city really needs to get, get back on the rails. And you can see the cyclical, uh, the cyclical nature of this. As cities and blue states become more confiscatory, they become more hostile to property rights. They drive out wealthy people. They drive out the creators of wealth. And as prosperous people leave, the politics become more confiscatory. They become more hostile 
and the cycle continues. There's something very Randian, and they say that as we've talked about Ayn Rand earlier, something very Randian. After all, the basic premise of Atlas Shrugged involved a small group of industrialists living in a dystopian future in which they struggle to keep their businesses afloat while fighting against an oppressive government and mooching politicians. Eventually, they say to hell with it, and they walk away, taking with them their wealth, creativity, and innovations. Today is a more realistic version of that. The novel was in many ways an epic mystery, you know, but eventually we, of course, learn that the, the, the free for John Galt, you've seen John Galt, that he's a disgruntled visionary and he's inviting the best and brightest to join him and abandon the looters, basically leave Chicago and join him in Florida or Texas. All of the men who have vanished, the men you hated, you yet dreaded to lose. It is I who have taken them away from you, he says. Do not attempt to find us. We do not choose to be found. Do not cry that it's our duty to serve you. We don't recognize such duty. Do not cry that you need us. We do not consider need a claim. Do not cry that you own us. You don't. Do not beg for us to return. We're on strike. We, the men of the mind, we are on strike against self-immolation. Beautifully written. Decades and decades ago. It's good storytelling, not exactly believable. What we're witnessing, however, is that movement of people who are tired of being taken advantage of by dysfunctional governments. We forget that entrepreneurship is the lifeblood of our economy. Societies without it, they die. They just die. They go away, diminish, poof. They assume ground temperature. And many of these states and cities have become hostile to entrepreneurship and wealth creation. I don't put companies here in New York anymore or California, said Shark Tank entrepreneur Kevin O'Leary. He said that on CNN. Those states are uninvestable. The policy there is insane. The taxes are too high. As the exit from Chicago shows, it's not just high taxes. There are other costs, moral, social, cultural. When you create communities that spurn property rights and celebrate looting, IRS data only tell us so much. If you want better understand those costs, pick up a copy of Atlas Shrugged. Very well said. An astute piece about what's happening. And if we're not careful... I mean, Governor Cooper's ilk, the political left in the state of North Carolina, does not represent a believable, desirable future for North Carolina. I'm not extolling the virtues of the Republican Party here. What I am saying is the policies of the left are devastating. The consequences of that ideology are absolutely devastating. If you look at it, it's not, it's not utopian. The abortion position is not a utopian position. If you look at their position on wealth creation, they almost want to say the people who create jobs and the innovators are the bad guys. They're not. You don't want to have an influx of illegals. They do. They, they don't see a problem with that. What we need, we need the kind of freedoms. North Carolina is blessed. We have, we have a diversity of thought and opinion but it's being diminished in many ways. We're balkanizing ourselves along metro and rural areas. One of the first columns I ever wrote for the John Locke Foundation was Mayberry versus Metropolis. And that argument was, I wrote that in 1998, I believe. It was my first column there before I even was an employee there. And it was, it was, it was recognizing the way in which left-leaning cities governed themselves, the way in which they were becoming far more left-leaning, and they've become worse now, 25 years later. Oh, hey, real quick, before I forget, Carolina Readiness Supply is prepping for its annual Heritage Life Skills event. It's coming up in July, and you can learn how to be better prepared and self-sufficient in the event of any emergency. Things like homesteading, canning, water storage, 
radio communications, herbal remedies, home defense, fermenting vegetables, all sorts of stuff. This is what Carolina Readiness Supply does. For beginners all the way to the most experienced preppers, Carolina Readiness Supply can help. Get your tickets now at carolinareadiness.com. That's carolinareadiness.com. Veteran-owned Carolina Readiness Supply, will you be ready when the lights go out? It's it's unfortunately a, a galvanizing, polarizing issue that we can't have a discussion about. The, the new law, by the way, you know, I'll, I'll just basically throw it out this way, is the new law, and, and even CNN, their version of the new law, it's called the, the Care for Women, Children, and Families Act. It bans physicians from performing abortions after the 12th week. It provides exceptions in the case of rape and incest through 20 weeks or in the event of a life-limiting anomaly through 24 weeks of pregnancy. Under the bill, the the procedure could be performed by a physician if a doctor determines an abortion is necessary to avert death, not including psychological or emotional conditions. Under the current law, abortions were legal up to 20 weeks. A reduction to 12 weeks would be significant but less restrictive than other Republican states that have recently enacted six-week or near-total bans. This also prohibits healthcare providers who object to abortion on moral, ethical, or religious grounds for being forced to participate in them. So before you could be forced to do it, imagine being against it and being forced to do it. So it's not an extreme. I mean, for the governor to portray it as extreme, it's just not. And that's the CNN version of that law. So if anyone was going to be able to say it was an extreme law, CNN would have done so in their story. I mean, it's, it's just not. Now, I want to get to another one. We, we, I have talked on this show, another non-sexy issue, but one that unfortunately has gone beyond drivel to become a substantive debate, and that's the one of reparations. It's never a more silly, absurd uh, concept than the issue of reparations, paying people, currently paying people, redistributing wealth based on issues that took place hundreds of years ago and finding a race-based reason to do that. It's fraught with peril. It's illogical. It doesn't make sense because, once again, America's a melting pot. Finding, you know, at some point you would have to do this very Nazi era uh, means testing. You'd have to do some kind of genetic profiling to determine who victim, who the victims are and who who should pay, I guess. I mean, it's a bizarre dystopian through the looking glass way. And the fact that it's gained any kind of momentum is just a tribute to people feel they're owed stuff. I'm just owed stuff. I'm owed stuff, so who's going to pay me? i got to find I'm the victim, which is, again, going back to the policy discussion I had earlier, which is many ways that the progressive left fails fails over time because their policies are just not logical. They lack personal responsibility, and they're based on the assignation of blame. You have to blame somebody. It's always someone else's fault that you're in the condition you're in. It's never yours. It never acknowledges that life is unfair. It never acknowledges that it's that your condition is someone else's fault, which is where reparations, the, the logic behind reparations comes in. And I say all that because there's a funny, uh, there's there's proof of this. And I've always said you would have to have, even when Asheville, North Carolina passed, the kind of moving forward on reparations, you have to have some kinds of means test. How do you determine the genetic lineage of someone who's a victim versus an oppressor? Because that's where it comes to. And one of the best is, is Angela Davis. Angela Davis was was nationally known in 1970 when guns that she owned were used in holding up of a Marin County courtroom in California, which left four dead, including the judge. After the FBI issued a warrant for her arrest, she went on the run and became listed as one of the department's 10 most wanted. After her eventual arrest, she spent 16 months in jail before being found not guilty. 
Born in Birmingham, Alabama in 1944 during the era of segregation and violent racial divisions in the South, and while studying in West Germany in her youth, she was drawn to the far-left politics and upon returning to the U.S. became involved with the Black Panthers and the Communist Party. So she appeared on a show finding her roots. She's been a strong advocate for reparations. And so she went on a show to find out about her roots. And on that show, she's 79, she was flabbergasted, not my word, I wouldn't use that word, to discover both sides of her family were white and that her mom's ancestors were slave owners on PBS show Finding Your Roots. After the stunning revelations sparked calls for the famously woke Marxist University of California professor to pay herself reparations, having previously called on whites to pony up, sharing a tweet about the show, conservative pundit Matt Walsh wrote, it gets better. She's also descended from a slave owner. On her father's side is a pilgrim. On her mother's side is a slave owner. Another Twitter user called A.K. Kamara wrote, Angela Davis, the radical Marxist and former Black Panther, recently discovered that she is also the ancestor of colonizer and slave owners. I guess she owes herself reparations. The timeline gets funnier and funnier. It's just, but it, it, it really illustrates how absurd this is. The, the first part was the funniest because it's on film. She discovers that you know, she was a direct descendant of someone on the Mayflower. So it discredits from, from a genetic standpoint, she's completely compromised on that. So the issue of reparation, she's changed her tune quite a bit now, saying, well, you know, I learned a lot. And, and imagine going to a government DNA checkpoint to find out that you are as much victimizer as victim with respect to original sin, which is what this is really about. It's trying to go back to original sin. And how far back would you go? Because every group at some point has been marginalized by another group, depending on which side of the battle, the war, your ancestors were. Australia, I guess, could it's a penal colony. Sue Great Britain for throwing them out there on a continent, giving them their own continent. I don't know. But it gets you see how when you take all of their policies and you take them to a logical conclusion, they just fall apart. There's no way. Even in the merits, for years, it wasn't that people, it wasn't about gay marriage. It was about the concept of government being in the marriage business. And at a certain point, once you recognize that any two people can be together, the government says, well, any two people can be together, then it's a numbers game, isn't it? Well, what about three people? What if they, because thruples are becoming very popular, sister wives, brother husbands, I guess that's what it's called. But there's tons of different ways. It becomes a numbers game, doesn't it? Any two people can have a social contract, but three can't? The, the logic, it just falls apart. And, and, and notice that whenever you have these discussions, the left always says you're phobic, meaning fearful. You're afraid of. If, you're trans, if you disagree with, with, with men competing in women's sports, you're transphobic. You're not afraid of that. It's just wrong. And we can't have a discussion about wrong because we have to have a victim, right, and someone to blame. There has to be a victim mentality for all this to work. So you're phobic. Whatever the left puts in your way, you're phobic if you disagree with them. So you can't. So once once you castigate someone with a name, you can't have a logical discussion with anyone. And that's the real sad reality of where we are. Social media is a reflection of this. Now, there's a lot of angry people on the right. There are plenty. This isn't this isn't like only one group has a problem here. But if you if you start talking about policy, you can get away from a lot of the name calling. You can. 
and you can look at the implications. Where does that policy take you? And our policies over the past 50 years have taken us into an absurd nanny state mentality that hasn't solved problems and left us trillions of dollars in debt. And we're up against a deadline that the press loves to make. And so what will happen is the cacophony of voices will shout to the moon and scream and wail to the point a deal will be etched that will raise the debt ceiling and increase spending. And the left and right will shake hands and disaster will be averted. And we will not have become stronger for it. And that's just the unfortunate reality of where we are. It has been an honor. It's been a pleasure. I will be back, by the way, sitting in the captain's chair tomorrow, 12 to 3, Chad Adams, 4 Pete calendar, Tuesday. So more fun to look forward to. Folks, hope you have a fantastic day. Enjoy it. Live in the moment. And I'll see you tomorrow at about the same time.